Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. That's a really interesting thing that maybe not so many people have explored. The idea that a home is not actually a physical home because we just say, okay, well, it's my home. It feels like home. And so we've associated the idea of something that you live in as your home. But I actually feel if that was the case, I literally would not have a home. I totally agree that it's actually something that is more tied into experiences and people. Listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now, your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire. And when you travel a lot, sometimes, depending on the person, your idea of what home is can change, right? Sometimes you feel at home in different places around the world for some reason. They just vibe with you. Sometimes you come back to your real home if you're based somewhere, and it doesn't feel like home anymore. (laughs) Or maybe it feels more like home. It's a fascinating topic. What is home? We know it's more than a physical structure that you live in, right? We'll talk about why in just a moment. I should tell you about today's show, and I'm bringing up this whole home topic because my guest is somebody who was raised all over the world. His parents were from two different countries. They lived in various countries around the world when he was growing up, including Norway for a stretch where I live right now. And we talk a lot about that. And what does home mean to somebody who grew up all over the world? And now he continues the nomadic lifestyle. Uh, Maybe that's a consequence of his childhood upbringing. We do get into that. And he shares a bit about his program, Wi-Fi Tribe, which is a basically a traveling group of entrepreneurs that go around the world together. And since he's around so many people working remotely and building online businesses so they can travel, so they can have that particular lifestyle, I pick his brain a bit on what is working right now. I always think if you're around all those people, you're getting a lot of different lessons, not just from your own personal experience, but from the experiences of 
others. And I should let you know this interview was recorded at the end of 2019. So this was pre-COVID, but it doesn't change any of the good information (laughs) that you're going to get out of this interview. And he talks about moving around the world as a kid. How does that affect you later in life? Being a part of different cultures and how a constellation of people, as he says, can be your home, negotiating for remote work, and the mysterious ritual of the Norwegian Rus, which is a, a crazy thing that they do here in Norway. And you'll hear me talk about how it's something I wish I had the chance to go through and he got to go through the Rus. So we talk about all of this and so much more, a ton of value in today's chat. I know you're going to love it. Now, let's get into today's interview. I was going to talk a little bit more about the concept of home, but I think listening to this interview first will give you some context around that conversation. So let's pick that up on the back end of the interview. I also have a shout out to one of you beautiful souls in this listening community, and I'll open up the always magical random quote drawer and pull out a little bit of uh, wisdom for you. All of that coming up on the back end of the interview. Enjoy that, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. Is it possible to have it all? Travel, build your career, and feel like you belong wherever you are in the world. My next guest thinks so. He's the founder of Wi-Fi Tribe, which is a global community of remote professionals who travel across the world in small groups while building meaningful relationships. You can learn more at wi tribe.co. Diego Bejerano, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, we have a lot to talk about today. I know you have worked alongside hundreds of location-dependent entrepreneurs, people that are working remotely for companies. So you know, outside of your own experience, I'm sure you've gleaned some lessons from them. So I definitely want to pick your brain on what's working out there on the business side and the personal side, and maybe even the travel side, of course. Well, first of all, where are you from? Do you have a Spanish name? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to uh, to answer. So my dad's Bolivian and uh, my mom's German, um, but I never really stayed in one place for very long. When when I was about one year old, they moved out. I was initially born in Germany, and then they kept on moving uh, probably about every two to three years on average, right? So a lot of the time was spent in South America, uh, a little bit in Europe. We spent a year and a half in Oman. Um, yeah, so it's been it's been a little bit all over the place. And whenever my parents tell me I should get a real job. I tell them that, uh, you know, it's, it's their fault. They got yeah. me here. Right. They dragged you across the world. Do you have any siblings or? I do. And she's doing the exact opposite. So she's settled in Germany. She's got a kid. Um, yeah. So she's very stable. I feel like this is kind of how it goes in a family like that, right? Like you're either going to follow the trend and keep moving around because you're untethered and that's what you're used to or, uh, or you're going to be like longing for that stability, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you obviously you're doing this and your your sister is doing, like you said, the opposite. How do you feel about how your childhood affected your life now? It does seem to be interesting that people who, who have that kind of upbringing are um, either swinging to one side or the other, right? And the interesting part is that, you know, being raised by by the same parents, you would think that um, that maybe we were both swinging to a, in, in one direction, um, but I guess it really is also a, a personality kind of thing, what you're looking for, Right. 
And so I think I very much got used to it. And that's something that I wanted to continue uh, having. Where did you spend the majority of your time? Actually, in, in Norway. So that really? was the last. Yeah. You know, that's where I live, later. right? That's where I am right now. You're there right now? I, I live no, in Oslo. Wait, which part of Norway? In Oslo. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was, I was in Savanger. Ah, oh, that's crazy. That's really <laughs> interesting. Cool. Yeah. So I spent seven years there, which, is, which was a lot of time for us. Um, the places, I mean, sometimes we spent a year and a half at a, at a place. Um, sort of the longest we would have spent before that in a place might have been maybe three years. And then Norway was the last part of, uh, of sort of my school time. And yeah, spent, spent long. How old were you when you were in Norway then? Oh, I must have been about 12 when I moved over and then left when I was maybe something like, uh, I guess, 19. Yeah. So 19. did you do the Rus? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, do you want to explain what that is? Just because, uh, well, I, I always imagine what it would be like not being from here and then being a part of that. Explain what it is so people know, and I don't want to hear your take on it. This is really interesting right. to me. Uh, this, this is fascinating. I think it's one of the coolest things about Norway. I, I guess it's actually done in all of Scandinavia, right? I think they do it in Sweden as well. But the idea of Bruce is that you, um, at the end of your school year, um, high you school. basically have High school, exactly. Yeah. You have a, a month of just doing basically just crazy things, right? So there's the, there are these challenges set by uh, by something that they call, I guess, the Roos Committee. Uh, and they set up a bunch of challenges for the entire, you know, that entire last year um, at, at, their, at their high school to, uh, to complete. And based on what challenges you do, you get a certain type of, I guess, recognition from the, from, you know, I guess, the peers, right? And this is not just done in one school, but it's done across the entire country. Um, there are different colors. So basically the different colors put you in a different type of, um, I guess, a different type of schooling. Uh, and there's a bit of competitiveness between them as well. And the way that you get your recognition for doing something crazy, right? And that can be something like, um, I don't know, running naked across a four kilometer bridge or something like that. Um, it can be all kinds of weird stuff. It's funny you said um, that because I think things. that's exactly what my wife did. <laughs> during Greece. Okay. <laughs> oh, so your wife is also from Norway. Yeah, she's Norwegian. Ah, cool, yeah, That's cool. how I ended up yeah, here, so. Well, the, the bridge thing is a classic one. It's a classic one, <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah, got it. That's a typical one. Um, and yeah, so you get these little knots in, your, in, a, in a hat, uh, and the more knots you have, obviously, the more crazy stuff you've done. Uh, so yeah, it's just a little tradition for us, unfortunately, because the international schools had slightly shifted um, calendars for, for the final exams. Um, our exams were right at the end of that Roos period. So uh, I think some of us had quite... Uh, had, had to struggle a lot to make it through those exams. After yeah, I mean, people, it's a whole thing because I mean, you see people walking around town wearing these overalls, either red or blue, and they have these like, you could call them business cards, but they're not business cards. It's like a, it's a card they get made up that's like their own individual kind of sayings and mottos and about them. And then little kids, for some reason, collect these. It's just a whole thing. Um, it's just a fascinating thing. And, and when it's going on, man, I hear the buses because there's these People get these buses, and some people spend ridiculous amounts of money on this whole Rus thing. But they um they'll just like drive around these buses, just pumping terrible dance music all night. I'm just like, I start hearing the bass in May or whatever. I'm just like, oh, must be that time here of year go. again. So, do you speak Norwegian? Don't challenge me on it. But I used to speak Norwegian before I left. I had a job uh, doing you know, flipping burgers, uh, driving pizzas, and at that point, I had to learn Norwegian. But because I was in, inter- in an international school, we didn't learn it earlier. Um, so yeah, I can probably by now it's been what, you know, 12 years ago. So I'll be able to communicate, but it won't be pretty. If you're looking at yourself, like kind of analyzing your own personality, I guess, like what, 
where do you draw things from when you grow up in that way, culturally speaking? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm just imagining, all right, spending seven years in Norway, you're going to get influenced by Norwegian society by being around that, but not entirely because you came from outside of that, from all these other places. So how does that mishmash happen within you? Is that like a co- conscious things that you tap into or is it just kind of been a culmination of like now who you are or what, what has that done for you being a part of all those different cultures? So there's a few different things that'll probably define how I, uh, yeah, how, how I've been shaped. One is obviously going to be uh, the background of my parents, right? Um, so, you know, we, we've definitely taken some, some of the culture from the German, uh, the German background. Our Christmases, for example, are, are very German. Um, and then there's the, the Bolivian heritage. Uh, I've gone back to Bolivia probably every second year for summer, right? So I'm picking up um, a few things there. I think the biggest def- defining factor, though, um, is, is going to be the international school environment that I was at. So um, in the different schooling systems that we went to, so that we, I guess, had some form of consistency, we would go to these uh, international schools. And those are just, uh, again, a mishmash of people from all kinds of different uh, nationalities. But typically, there's a there's a strong influence from the states. Uh, so that's also why I, I sound probably more American than, uh, yeah, than anything. I was right? going to say that. <laughs> The German accent is pretty strong, and the, the Spanish one not too bad either. So I, I can put those on when I when I need to. But um, yeah, my default is is more American. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of the the mix of that. Um, I think what was really interesting is that I, I've never really felt at home in either Germany or Bolivia, or for that matter, any of the the places that we would stay at. So not Norway either, um, because I I think to to really feel like you you fit into a culture like that you do need to kind of grow up in that in that culture um it's kind of the the same concept as when you're in a group of friends and uh maybe this this group of friends has formed before you joined and there's it it, there are a lot of uh inside jokes right i feel like growing up in one country with one culture is is like understanding all of the insider jokes of that of that country and that's when you feel like you're you're truly at home there so that is something that i never really had um, so again, put me in an environment of, you know, I don't know, mostly Germans, and I would feel uh, a little bit uncomfortable there, but put me in an environment of um, a bunch of other people from all kinds of different nationalities. And it's almost like there's this, um, there's this, like, I guess you can call it that third culture. Um, and it, and it just that, you know, the humor is, is, uh, is more international. It's, it just, it's almost like we understand each other on a, uh, on, on a kind of like a new cultural, um, level, right? So that's really where I'd feel most at home. Is there any way in the world you feel at home? Anywhere, I, I guess I guess a little bit in Germany and uh, Bolivia, Bolivia because I kept on going back to the same place again and again, right? So we had a house there for I think ten years or so, maybe even fifteen years, uh, and Germany because um, that's just my. It's another place that we kept on going back to. Never really lived there for for much time, only months at a time, um, but family is there, right? And so there's a feeling of seeing family and I just I guess I associate that with home right but it's not usually uh it's not usually a physical place or a you know a house for that matter because that's always changed right yeah I mean I think it can also be in my experience you know being somebody who lives in another country other than the one they're from it, it can a lot be to tie to traditions as well right like if you celebrate Christmas for example in Germany this is my own opinion you do that repeatedly over a number of years and you can go back to that place where like those traditions were created. You, it makes you feel a sense of home, even though it might not be a physical thing. It's a tradition. It's not a physical place, but if you practice those traditions anywhere and then you come back to that place, I feel like that, 
that can also be something that can be a little bit of a a, a line to a home place. I'm using air quotes here. It, absolutely. And I, I think that's a really interesting thing that maybe not so pe- so many people have explored. The idea that a home is not actually a physical home, right? Um, because we just say, okay, well, it's my home. It feels like home. And so we've associated the idea of a, you know something that you live in um, as your home. But I actually feel, at least at least for me, if, if that was the case, I literally would not have a home, right? So in, I, I, I totally agree that it's actually something that is more tied into um, – I guess, experiences and people. So experiences, you know, Christmas, that's a fantastic example. For me, Christmas needs to happen in Germany, right? Because right. it always happens. And whenever I do go home, it feels home, like, right. It feels right. Yeah. And it feels like, right? That's exactly it. So now as, as we're getting towards, you know, ge- gearing towards Christmas, I'm starting to feel like I want to go home, right? And I realize that that just means going to Christmas at home. Right. Right. Germany, right. right. So that's a really interesting one. And something else that I realized probably about a year and a half, it must have been about a year and a half um, into the, the whole Wi-Fi trap experiences, I was asking myself for the first time, well, what does home actually mean for me? And that's when I sort of thought back to the the different international environments. And and I, I um, had moments where I felt very comfortable in the space that, I guess, the space that we'd created with the uh, this community, because that community was also a group of international people, right? And that's the first time that I, I um, started to say, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is home. Maybe it's a constellation of people uh, it must be a certain combination of, you know, diversity, a certain combination of maybe values, uh, a few things probably need to line up and lock into place for me to feel like, oh, wow, this constellation of people feels like home. Yeah. Right. So that's another sort of abstract version of home that I, I found really interesting. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing that, you know, you kind of recognize, Hey, this is something that means home to me. And rather than, you know, kind of waiting for, that to kind of appear, you just created it yourself. <laughs> you just like, I feel like this is a tendency of a lot of nomads is to, in one way or the other, to create some sense of home for themselves. Even if that's like, hey, this is my backpack and it goes everywhere with me. And this is kind of like my mini home on, on my back or whatever. I remember touring, doing work. And I mean, we always had like these bins with like our spices that we'd cook with and stuff like that. It was like, yeah, it was just a storage bin full of like kitchen stuff. But it was kind of like taking our home with us to like different hotels. And I can think of many times in my life when I've kind of done that in a in a miniature way, I suppose. I'm picking your brand on this because I'm really curious about it. I have two kids and I always wonder what it's like to grow up that way in case I ever put them on that on that track, you know, because I had the opposite. I mean, I grew up in in one place and then, of course, I wanted to travel around and now I don't live there. But I have that sort of like like you mentioned, like I can go back to the States and see my friends and we can have these inside jokes and things like that. Like you can't change who you are or where you came from and you can you shouldn't regret it, I don't think, because it's it makes you who you are. All of your experiences define you, so you should embrace them. Do you ever like feel like you missed out on some of that a little bit as uh, somebody growing up that way? Or do you feel like you gained more than um, than you missed? Yeah, and I think that's that's probably it. In terms of defining it, um, you're going to miss out on something uh, either way. So um, the question is, what what is worth more to you, and are, are you happy with with where you're at? I, I always so my philosophy for life is if you if you're happy with where you are right now, then um, then it's fine. Like everything that that happened is uh, was was got you to that point. I would personally recommend it, but with a little bit of uh, a little bit of caution, right? So recommend it basically to to parents, and it's definitely what I want to do with my kids as well. Um, I think kids 
the, the kind of stability that kids need is probably more around the relationships around them. So obviously a stable home is super, super important. If you're going to do this kind of lifestyle and you don't have a stable home, then it's really, and, and when it's, sorry, home, I mean family, right? So, so stable, stable sense of, um, of I guess, parents, right? Um, when that doesn't exist, that's extremely difficult. And the other thing that if you can at all make it happen would be um, to have a stable uh, social environment for, for the kids, maybe something that's a little bit more consistent as well. If those things are consistent, I don't think a kid cares about what the walls look like that they're living in, right, about the, the actual physical home. I also don't think that a kid cares that much about, you know, most of the other things. In fact, I remember that every single time that I was moving from one country to, to, to the other, you know, when, when our parents, as soon as our parents would tell us, all right, kids, we're going to go somewhere Were you like, oh, man, again. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it, that's the fun part. It was the exact opposite, right? I was super, super excited about it. And here's the, you know, as a kid, you just don't think further. You're just like, oh, yeah, I want to see a new place. Right. And I would arrive in the new place and I'd be like, oh, man, not again. <laughs> so it's, it's like, I got to start over. I got to make some new friends. I got to learn a language, all this stuff. Absolutely. So for some reason, it's almost like I, I got burned every time. And I, and I forgot already, right? The excitement just overrode the fact that this was going to suck for the first, I don't know, six uh, six months of, of being in a new place, right? Um, so I'd literally sit in the airplane, be be super, super excited, but then arriving is more difficult because then you have to plug yourself into a new place. The other thing that I would say that um, I, f- I think that might have happened with me personally is that I... Um, so I, I find it really difficult to... Or I, I just don't miss people when they're not not in my life, no matter how much I've connected with them. And I love being with them when I'm, when I'm around them. Right. Um, so I'm very much the kind of person that's like, if, if I can see you, if you're, if you're around me, then, then it's a, it's a really close, close connection, close relationship. And if the person's not uh, nearby, then I, I, I really struggle to, to keep in touch by messages, calling all that kind of stuff. Right. That goes for, that goes for literally everyone from, from, you know, super close friends through to family, through to, uh, through to you know my ex-girlfriend, my current girlfriend, um, and as soon as I'm with people, obviously, obviously the relationship's great. So, and that's that's really difficult for the other people in my life um, because I keep on having to explain that I I believe that this might be something that might have happened as a as a defense mechanism, you know that that I developed when I realized that you know I was going to make close connections. I would have to do it pretty quickly yeah. and then have to accept that I probably wouldn't see those people ever again. Right. Rather than mourning, you started shutting out down your emotions in some way. When, when I was no longer with them. Right. right? But the, the interesting part is that I didn't shut myself off completely from making new, forming new relationships. Right. That would have been really bad. Right. Luckily that, that hasn't been the case. So yeah, currently I don't think something like that exists. It is something that um, I'm not sure if it's worth to pursue as a model because, you know, the thing that we do could turn into something like that where families actually travel with their kids. But I'm not sure if financially it makes sense for us to build that out. But regardless, I would want that to exist. Right. So if a project like that was started by someone or if we collaborated with someone to create something like that, I like the idea that maybe, you know, 10 families travel together and 10 families might have 20 kids between them who then have the stable social environment. Maybe they stay in a place for, I don't know, six months or a year at a time, maybe even two years at a time, but that that social environment doesn't necessarily change, but the location might be able to change. Yeah, Something like that is would would be my ideal version of it. It just currently doesn't exist yet. I'm just fascinated by that style of upbringing because obviously it's a, there's a lot of people listening to this that love to travel, of course, and they might be having kids someday or maybe they have kids now. So it's, it's definitely relevant. You were in startup world for a while. Like, tell me about what happened after you left Norway. What did you 
I mean, what did you what do you decide at that point? Because you're like, all right, well, Norway's not my home, but where is my home? And you, you know, we talked about all the definitions of home, and we could probably do a whole podcast uh, talking about just home, which we already have up to this point, I guess. Where were you? It sounds to me like just from the information I got that you kind of went into full like entrepreneurial hustle startup mode. Did that happen right away, or there was there was university in between. Right. And so um, a last little note, I guess, on that, the idea of homes, I probably did think I wanted to go home and that was Germany. So I, after school, I went to or after high school, I went to Germany to study, uh, realized that's when I realized that I was not at home in Germany, uh, did that for less than six months and then said, OK, well, I'm going to go chase my girlfriend at the time to uh, study in the UK. Right. And that's where I studied for three years. Um, that's when like the whole startup hype, uh, kicked off and it kicked off in the UK a lot as well. So obviously in the U S that was where it all came from, um, or where it all got hyped up the most. And then in the UK, they started to really promote it to offer, you know, grants and all that kind of stuff. And then at the end of, um, so up until maybe the second year of university, I was still thinking, well, you know, my dad worked in the oil industry that allowed him to travel around the world. So I had that kind of thought in mind. I wanted to work in some big corporation to start with and maybe in the future, um, build my own thing up. But the, the idea was initially to to go corporate, but in a company that would let me travel. Right. And then for some reason, right at the end of university or, or college, I guess, uh, as you'd call it in the States, um, I I don't know. I, I slipped into into the first startup project. We did something then right out of university. I stayed in the UK for an extra uh, year and a half uh, working on that thing. It didn't really kick off. It kind of gave us a salary, but it, it didn't get any further than that. Then, uh, yeah, there was just a, a series of, of startups that were like, I put a lot of time into them, a lot of effort. They didn't, they never picked up, but some, somehow the theme was always, it, it had something to do with, um, online. So I always wanted to build something kind of scalable, but the other part, the other element was always, um, either something entrepreneurial or, or something tied to the idea of communities, right? Whether that community was in person or, um, or online. So more virtual, I think the last one, uh, the last one that I, I tried, we worked on it for about a year. At that point, I said, all right, I'm, I'm already going to go to, to live in Cyprus for about uh, five months. So we did that there. It was a really expensive place to live. So that wasn't that wasn't too difficult to get set up. And then when that last project didn't work out, I just said, OK, look, whatever happens next, um, I've put so much time into into all these these startups. I haven't really been, you know, around friends much. I, have, I haven't even been networking for that matter. So like literally I was. I was stagnating in, in the in the whole um, startup. What was yeah. your skills like? What were you doing for these startups? Are you a programmer? Are you a marketing guy? What Mar- marketing guy? Definitely. That's that's what I've uh, always been focusing on. But it was more about like I was kind of like creating them, right? I, I had the ideas. I wanted to uh, to move them forward. Marketing was what I would ultimately focus on. Um, but it was kind of pulling the things together, right? So the fact that I, I wasn't a programmer probably probably stopped me from being able to to set that up. Right. So then, yeah, on the on the the last one, I just said, all right, that's it. I'm going to I'm going to fix my lifestyle first because this really isn't working. And, you know, I'm I'm not getting any younger. I definitely want to travel and do a few more things. So that all right. What what matters to me? And it was was being around uh, interesting people, Um, just spending more time with people than travel. Obviously, was one of the elements of that lifestyle. And then the third point was just I wanted to continue working on something that, um, yeah, just working on something that I cared about. And so I just decided to, to work as a freelancer for in marketing. So I realized, okay, that's probably where I have more experience. Um, 
And I really knew nothing about Google ads or Facebook ads at that point, but I realized that was probably something I could learn relatively quickly and then and then earn something off that right away. So I focused on that, um, did that for about three or so months, three or four months. And um, at that time, I was already thinking, okay, I want to go over to Bolivia. We have a house there, you know, maybe email out a bunch of friends and ask them if they'd like to join me there. Just let them know, hey, look, I'm going to work, but I can show you this country. I've been here uh, a ton of times. So it'll be really fun if you have work you know, bring it along. Uh, we can work during the week and then explore uh, on, on the weekends, right? And uh, yeah, one of those people that I that I emailed had already been working remotely from from South Africa for quite a while. So she was really excited just about the, the concept in general. So she joined and, you know, that first, that was kind of like a first trip to Bolivia. It was, was totally for free. It was literally just inviting uh, friends. And um, then we posted a few more things on Facebook group, uh, on Facebook groups for like digital nomads. And then we we just thought, okay, well, maybe there's something that we we can turn this into something that would be interesting. So just to give the project a name, that's when we called it Wi-Fi Tribe. It was probably three weeks before we flew to Bolivia. We, we put up a really quick website on, on Squarespace, um, created that that funny logo. That was that was my co-founder. She she had the idea for that. And then, um, yeah, and then we just we got there. It was only really seven of us, I think seven or eight of us. So a very small, small group and nobody paid anything for it. Right. Um, so we're like, well, is this really going to work out? Cause you know, no one's really willing or no one's paid and, and so few people have signed up for it. Um, but we gave it a try with another place. So there we said, all right, well, right after Bolivia, why don't we try to make it official? I'll kind of like use what I learned with, um, with Facebook ads and try to put some ads out there and see if that, that pulls anyone in. So did that, that worked incredibly well. The, the ads part, um, I actually say to this day that probably Wi-Fi tribe work only happened because of Facebook ads. Yeah. Um, even if nowadays they don't work anymore. Um, yeah. 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 It's been about a year and a half. And, uh, yeah. So we then looked for a place. We're like, all right, let's go to Costa Rica. It'd be really cool to go there. We were looking on Airbnb for the house, just zoomed out a little bit further, found this amazing house. And then we're like, okay, cool. We're going there. And then we realized that that amazing, we zoomed out so far that that amazing house was actually Nicaragua. So we're like, oh, well, I guess we're going to Nicaragua. And that was then our next official place. That's when we, you know, we charged for the first time for, for I guess, the service. And um, yeah, that one worked out. And then since then, we've just been doing it month by month, sort of rolling over, you know, trying to trying to pull things together as we as we went. It was very haphazard in the beginning, very much just a project uh, for for lifestyle change. And at some point, I just stopped doing freelance work because it was taking up so much of my time, and we were able to, you know, slowly make it at least sustainable for what we were doing. Let's talk about the the moment when you were kind of redesigning your lifestyle. This is an important piece to the puzzle, obviously. All these things happen in real time. So sometimes I find with myself and also through conversations that there there's there's a moment and then it it's like a real quick thing or it's just like a 6 month or a year long or 5 year long process where you're just kind of processing things and trying to figure it out when you're realizing you're not living the lifestyle that you want to live and you're going down a path that's like when the startup path that wasn't working, wasn't aligned with like your values and the things you wanted for yourself at that time in the future or the near future. How did you check in with yourself and like make the decisions on those changes? I think it was a combination of having reached a certain, a certain age at which I thought I would have been a little bit further. You know, I would have already built something. It was working. I, I could live a little bit differently off of that. Having reached that did, age. Did further mean financially? Success-wise, right. So financially is kind of tied to that as well, 
right? But basically have something in my hands to, to show, right? And I didn't, um, nothing, nothing, just nothing had worked by that point, right? Um, I think I was, I must've been 26, 25 or 26 at that point. And um, yeah, then, then realizing that travel was important to me, that it was just sort of a moment where I sat down and said like, what I expected out of my life at this point hasn't happened. And do I want to continue living this way and, and risk that time keeps going by and I don't, um, and I don't change things intentionally that allow me to live the kind of life that I wanted to live. Right. And it was the first time where I said, literally, I'm going to put starting a company on pause so that I do the thing that I want for my lifestyle first. And then when that's working, I will go back to the whole startup thing. Right. So I was looking at, at, um, getting a job. I applied for a few, uh, a few different remote jobs. Um, I definitely, I considered the, the freelancer work and that's what I ended up, ended up doing. Right. So I was, I was really set on doing something else that was not as difficult as, as getting a startup to work, um, just to focus on the lifestyle element, right. Knowing that I've got to probably fix one thing at a time rather than everything at the same time. And then I can always go back to, to the start thing. Of course, the irony with all of that is that when I didn't focus on it, somehow it, it, it ended up happening. Right. But that, it was, it was weird, but maybe it's just because, you know, I was really trying to solve a problem for myself for the first time, as opposed to just trying to create a, a company. And that meant I, I understood the problem deeply enough to be able to create value around it. This is key. Yes. There are people that are successful by, you know, doing market research, finding some niche they're not associated with and diving in and building a company that, that can happen. But I'm very much in the same camp as you. I think when you are scratching your own itch, as they say, to use the cliche, you understand more about what it is. And I think whether it's consciously or unconsciously with the copy you create or like the things you put into the business, I think people pick up on that. Yeah, you could look at, um, I don't know, hotels.com or something. I mean, it's not, that's not that kind of brand, right? Like people aren't like, the person that's founded this really cares about staying in hotels like <laughs> but i think we're talking about more kind of businesses like yours where it's a maybe a community driven or um a little more personal yeah it's it's a really interesting point um there've been since we started there must have been more than 100 companies that came in and we were you know we were keeping track we had a little excel spreadsheet we just wanted to know who's in you know what, what how's this whole thing moving right and it was a it was a mess right there was just so many and then as we put them on they, they we kept on having to take them off again because because companies dropped out so at some point we said all right we're not going to look at this spreadsheet anymore because it's, it's just changing so much um and then it you know over the years uh that was three and a half years ago right over the years it then started to consolidate bit by bit by bit and all of the other companies were, were out and then at the end there's only about five five companies left and they've figured out their niche really, really well, right? And I think that the reason that certain companies stayed and so many others failed is because it's not it's not an easy industry, right? Um, it's not, it doesn't have insane margins. Um, so you really have to be incredibly passionate and in order to be incredibly passionate, you have, to, I think you have to want this for yourself enough to be able to, to, to stay there, right? And so I've been living like this for the last three and a half years, right? I'm still here on a, actually right now on one of our trips, there's, you know, 20 other people here in, in Barcelona with me. Um, and that's, I, I've been doing this the whole time, right? Yeah. So I think you need that kind of passion in, in this in this industry um, to make it work. Let's talk about, uh, we're going to go into a little segment I'm calling, What's Working? <laughs> I 
created that name right before this. No, because you work alongside now hundreds of location-independent entrepreneurs. You're having lots of conversations. You have your own experience, which we've uh, touched on. You can share some experience here as well. But I'm just curious... I want to do this in two sections, one on the business side and one on the personal side. And I'm really looking for some kind of big picture, like sort of overarching strategies that people can take away from this podcast. So uh, alongside uh, uh, working alongside these people, I'm just wondering what, first of all, what makes a successful location independent business owner or remote worker, in your opinion? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So I'll, I'll take it one by one. Um, maybe from the perspective of the uh, the remote worker first, the, the key part there is, is being able to motivate yourself, right? So there's a lot less structure. Um, you're not going to come in at a certain time to the office and leave at, at, at a different time and then know that whatever happens between those Thank hours. Thank God. Is, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and exactly. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of, for sure, there's a lot of benefit to that. But you, you, know, you have to do that part yourself, right? The part that before somebody was managing for you, you now have to manage yourself. So that's, that's maybe the main part to be successful in, a, in, in remote work. Um, then you have to think about how to also get to that point in the first place, right? And I think um, if you are in a company that isn't currently allowing you to work remotely, you have to kind of like start chipping away at that resistance. Um, and you can do that in, in a bunch of different ways. Sometimes it's just about talking to them and saying, hey, look, would you allow me to do it? But if it's really difficult, you can, you, you know, you can start really, really small by just asking, well, would you allow me to take maybe one of my holiday weeks and, um, and add another, another work week and then I can work remotely for two weeks I'm basically giving you back work uh, and you're, you're giving me the chance to work remotely a little bit just so we can see if this thing actually works. That's right? a good or idea. Like volunteering one of your holiday weeks is uh, yeah. who's going to say no to that, right? Right, exactly. And, but what you're doing is you're setting the, the stage for a future where uh, it's okay, right? Because you can fall back to that and say, well, did it work out well, right? Obviously, in those two weeks, you've got to be on every meeting. You have to be, you know, everything on time. You have to probably put in 10% more, 20% more, a few more, even, even an hour extra each day, just to make sure that you're, um, you know, that, that, that there's no feeling of, Oh, this person hasn't kept up their, um, work in that time. Right. So that's kind of what you're, you're basically proving a concept to, to your company that feels that if you're too far away, they've lost control. Right. So you're basically showing them that that's not the case. Right. That's how you can, you can slowly get your way into remote work. Um, I, I'd suggest two, maximum three weeks to start with. And then bit by bit, you can start, um, suggesting more and more weeks, right? The other really important part for that is you need to, and, and this is actually a rule for, I guess, any negotiation, right? I would always consider, uh, negotiating for remote work as a similar process as negotiating for a race. Yeah. Right. You're negotiating for something to change. Um, and in order to be in the best position to negotiate, you want to make yourself very valuable and more importantly, indispensable, right? So make sure that some of the things that you're doing make you so key to the company that if if you were to leave, it would make it relatively difficult to um, to replace you, right? In those cases, companies are more likely to say, look, we don't want to lose this person. Let's figure out if we can give them a, a benefit. If, if they're not looking for a raise, maybe there's a different thing that we can give them that'll, um, that'll get them to, to stay in the company, right? Because it's going to cost us so much more to replace them. So um, then you have the company in a, in a, in a position where they're more likely to consider uh, letting you work remotely. You're putting the right. squeeze on them, Diego. Let's be well, honest. <laughs> gentle squeeze. But, but yeah. All right. And then okay. for the business owner. Right. For the business owner. Uh, 
Um, so I've never actually worked in a company that wasn't remote, except when I, you know, was flipping burgers back in, back in Norway. Uh, so I don't really know the other side that well. What I do know is remote means that you need to over communicate and there needs to be a ton of transparency, right? And everyone needs to know what's happening at, at any point in, uh, in time when decisions are made, right? And the, the best like tools to do that, in my opinion, would be something like Slack, where you, you know, Slack basically emulates all the different conversations that you could have in an office. Um, if you use it correctly and you're putting in, you know, you're clearly saying, look, this is, this is what I propose. Let's talk about it. At the end of that discussion, here's the decision. And then you make sure that everyone who needs to know about that is tagged in on that conversation. Then you, um, you have a platform where, where the whole team is, uh, is in the loop, right? Because yeah, that's something that is. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So that's a really cool one. And there are other tools like, you know, Trello, Asana, other, other like project management tools. But I do feel like Slack is sort of the, has been the, the base for us. And then on top of that, we do a, a bunch of other things. The other thing I'd really recommend is retreats with your, with your team or meetups around the world. Um, I think, you know, two of those a year is, is, is a good minimum to, to aim for. Um, if you can, it makes a massive difference, right? We've, we've worked with people that we haven't, that I never met until, until literally here in Barcelona for the first time. That was two years after they joined the company, which is, which is crazy. We kept on joking that that person was just a bot. Um, but it, it's, it makes such a difference when you actually meet in person. I feel like the team is now uh, much more likely to help each other out with something because it, yeah, it, it hung out together. Like, yeah, absolutely. I think the future of online business is getting offline as much as possible personally. Um, What are you seeing as the most successful businesses right now in terms of either business models or niches or anything like that? If you have any insight on that and and this can just be, I know it's a big question, but maybe you can just drill down on one or two trends maybe that you've noticed. Right. And and so you're saying most successful businesses in in any specific space. Well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking for the person listening who wants to run a location independent business and they're considering their options what are some of the things they sh- maybe should think about or consider? Right, right. So successful businesses in the in the remote workspace. Um, I mean, any tech company can be built can be built remotely, right? So if you're specifically thinking about a tech product, consider going remote from day one, right? Because it'll it'll mean that it'll be a lot easier um, to to then take the company remote and, and travel with it. If you, I want mean, to. I guess I'm wondering, are you seeing like? Um, like for example, like you have a lot of people doing e-commerce stores and those are working really well or something like that. Yeah. I think the ones that I'm seeing the most of are probably agencies, right? Because it's service based uh, work. Right. Right. It's, it's easier to go from freelancer, which is already remote to over to agency and it's just a natural progression. So that's why I'm seeing a lot of those. Um, e-commerce is definitely one that I see that seems to be very successful for people because so many people have, have done it. And it's one of those default things that people suggest do this if you want to build a, a relatively large company remotely, because the infrastructure for that already exists. Right. And then the other one that I've seen working incredibly well is uh, education products. Right. Again, you have to really get your ni- get your niche, watch out that you're not too broad, ideally actually teach something that you know really well. Um, but I've seen it from both sides. On, on one side, we've, we've been following someone who literally started when we did, and they ended up you know, earning something like 150,000 a month. It was, it was crazy. It's nuts. We've seen their, their progression. Um, and they were, they were selling a blogging course, right? Which you would say, Oh, well that's, you know, that's not, not so niche. So many people are doing that. Right. But they've been very successful with that because they, they were selling what they knew incredibly well. Right. The other person, again, selling an educational product, uh, just looked for what niche 
she thought existed that hadn't been served yet, researched that really well. I think it was for six months or a year. And because she spent that time researching this niche so well that nobody else would have done, she she was then able to create a product around it and, um, and again, be incredibly successful with that, right? So you can take it from both angles, but you do want to end up becoming really good at it. Either you naturally are because you've learned that, because you've built a business around it already, or you teach yourself how to be really good at it and you become the expert in the field. And on the personal side, what's working? Because I know... The biggest struggle that I've noticed in our community is, uh, you know, the figuring out the work balance stuff. I'm just wondering, just on the ground, any things that you've seen that are um, kind of helping people on the personal personal side when they're traveling and working, like either staying healthy, keeping balance, tech not like relationship to technology, all that stuff. Yeah, cool. So I think I'll start with work. Um, I, I feel like in the same way that you said, well, is there something that you can take with you that makes you feel like you're at home every single time? Um, I think the same goes for like an office space. Is there something that you can have that con- that that puts you that anchors you in productivity that always puts you straight into that that mindset of okay, I'm working now, right? And for me, it's uh, it's a set of things. You've got the um, that you know next stand or the, basically the stand that that lifts up your your laptop just so you got the right posture. That that uh, wireless keyboard again, that's kind of like your setup. And then for me, the most important thing is the uh, you know noise canceling headphones. Um, because as, as soon as I put those on, they, they really have sort of three different, three effects. First of all, they're big and chunky and that basically signals to people, okay, he's working, right? So he's in the zone, maybe don't disturb him, right? The second one, is, uh, it's actually noise canceling. And, uh, if you put on a little bit of music, put on the noise canceling, I hear it literally nothing like someone really, you know, has to wave at me so that I, I, I pay attention. And that really allows me to be in like a little, a little zone of focus. And the third one is that just the process of putting it on. Every time that I'm about to work means that every time that I put it on, I'm in the mindset of getting into work, right? So that's basically, that's how I feel that that is the equivalent. It's a trigger. It is. It's an anchor, right? It's the equivalent to going to an office every day. If I go to an office, I, I will the, work. The headphones are definitely a trigger for me too. Like even when yeah. I'm home and I could be listening on my speaker, I put them on anyway because I zone in better basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were broken for like two months and I still put them on. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I put them on and forgot to turn on music and had them on for like an hour or two working. I was like, oh, I never even t- put anything on. I just started working. It's weird. That's it. <laughs> You've conditioned yourself, right? Creepy. Get these things out of my ears. No. <laughs> In a good- <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good advice there. Like having those anchors is a, is a good idea. It's like small things you can take anywhere. How about the cutting off of the work, like or the technology, or getting away from the screens? Like, how do you manage that, or how, how have you seen people manage that who do it successfully? Because some people, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of this on your trips. You have you're around all these people all the time. You see people that aren't doing this in a healthy way. Absolutely, you must. What are some things to avoid, or kind of best practices? You can you can just hit a, a quick one or two. Yeah, sure. So, uh, what is it? Work will fill uh, the amount of time that you give it, yeah. right? So, there's a principle around that. Um, Pareto's so principle, I think it is. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So if you, yeah, so if you um, if you reduce the size, or is it Parkinson's uh, law? I always forget. That's Parkinson's. Okay. Yeah, yes. The twenty-eight rule. Yeah. Um, so if you reduce the amount of time that you that you um, give to it, you're you're probably going to be relatively productive in that time, right? So that's one one little trick. I think for me, it helps a lot to have other people around me um, because I would, if I didn't have anyone, I would just keep working, keep working, keep working. There's no reason to stop working, right? 
Um, so it's having it's having other people who say, hey, why don't we go out, you know, for dinner and do this or we go out and meet there. Right. So if you feel that you are a person who's a little bit more on the workaholic side, um, probably just having accountability buddies that do the opposite um, people around you that'll get you to do something is really helpful. And then the other thing I've I've found for myself to get the day started, but also to stay healthy is um, I take a routine with me um, anywhere I go. And it has to be I have to form this routine in a way that. It really is possible to do it anywhere. And for me, it's a combination of, you know, uh, quick, quick workouts, um, meditation, cold showers, um, let's see, and stretches, a few, a few other things, basically anything that, um, that I think is important, uh, health wise. And that I, I do that right at the beginning of the day. It takes an hour. Once I'm done with that, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like trigger, 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 and then start, start work. Right. Yeah. So also gets me in the, in the zone. Yeah, part part of mine is a uh, coffee and cookies. It doesn't seem like that's fitting into your re- regiment. <laughs> I, I love coffee and cookies. I'm trying that to eliminate happens. those the morning early morning pastries. All right, I got a couple quick uh, quick questions here. Goofiest domain you've ever owned? Goofiest domain I've ever owned. I'm gonna say. Come on, give net. us an embarrassing one. Okay, okay. Well, I haven't bought that many, but I think Network Ever After, and it wasn't just the domain. We actually turned it into a company. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm going to choose that one. Nice. What are some of the best spots that you guys have been for this? And I'm not asking you to try to, oh, give me the best spot in the world or whatever. But uh, yeah. as far as working remotely, where g- give us like your top one or two. I guess I am asking you for your top one or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, I'm going to say Medellin. I love that place. Uh, it's, it's very comfortable. And it, it's just, in my opinion, the essence of Latin America. Um, Bali is an obvious one. You've heard it from everyone. Strong sense of community there. Uh, yeah, it's super comfortable again. Um, Playa del Carmen, another really comfortable place. And Buenos Aires for a really local experience. Uh, it, it's a, just a cool city. Yeah, amazing city. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to come on and share. And man, I hope we cross paths. You know, I know you kind of forget people when, when they're gone, but don't, don't forget me, man. Stay in touch. Let me know if you come back through Norway. Yeah, no, that'd be awesome. Well, I, and I think we will in the future. We're looking at a trip to Norway. Do yeah. it. Uh, you can come over, man. I'll flip some burgers for you on my barbecue. That sounds good. Porch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just remind everybody where they can find you. Yeah, that's just wifitribe.co.com. Cool. Thanks, yeah. Diego. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for having me. And uh, yeah, hopefully meet you soon. Cool. We'll chat soon. All right, man. See ya. Bye. you have it thank you once again to diego for stopping by the show what a cool guy really enjoyed our chat i hope you enjoyed listening in on it as well and you heard we did jam for quite a while on the meaning of home and what it is like to grow up around the world and i can share with you one of my struggles after spending a decade plus out on the road with no home base. Some of you listening that have been traveling long-term or full-time might nod your heads in agreement. Others may be thinking about traveling long-term or full-time and just going to share my perspectives on home in just a moment. First, thanks once again to HomeExchange.com for supporting today's show. Speaking of homes, if you want to have the ability to never pay for accommodations 
or save a lot of money on accommodations because you're part of a global community who exchanges their homes easily, seamlessly, and without any money changing hands. Does that sound cool to you? Then you check out homeexchange.com. This is the number one home exchange platform on the web. When you join the community and create a profile, you'll get instant access to over 400,000 homes in 187 countries around the world that you can stay in. It's totally free to join. You only pay that annual fee when you make your first exchange. And of course, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we got a discount code for you. If you just type in 010, you're going to get 10% off when you do make your first exchange. This is a special service, really values-driven. And this is why I was so excited to partner with them because they they do value community. They value responsible travel. They value authentic travel experiences. This is all the stuff that we talk about here on the show. You know that. So they are in line with our values, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a partner. Check them out, homeexchange.com. Don't forget to use that promo code when you make your first exchange, 010, and you can join the number one home exchange community in the world today, homeexchange.com. Check them out. Thank you to them again for supporting today's show. Okay, let's talk a little bit about home, and then we will get into a shout-out to somebody in this community, which I'm excited to share, and then I'll open up the always magical quote drawer to leave you with some words of wisdom to get your brain going in one direction or a million directions. I don't know. I don't know what the quote's going to be, because it's a it's a mystery. I throw in all these different quotes, and then I pull one out during the show. It's been my thing lately, and I'm having fun with it, so I'm going to keep it rolling. Okay, struggles. Yeah. I had a real hard time settling down after traveling for 10 plus years. Traveling in the sense that I did not have a home base. I didn't have stuff that uh, was in a physical structure that was mine. I just lived in hotels and different places when I was working on the road doing tour management and event management and music touring. Then I was sleeping on a bus, I guess. So (laughs) I've slept in a lot of random places like most travelers. Anyway, so I was doing these jobs, traveling around, no home. And then I would either stay with friends, stay with family, or travel overseas between contracts. And this was my life for over a decade. I didn't know it was going to be my life in the beginning. I just thought I got to take a couple adventures. But it turned out I really loved that travel lifestyle. And I loved it so much that I just wanted to live my life on the road. I didn't want to travel in between, uh, like working a full-time job and just take a little time and travel. I wanted travel to be my life. And when travel becomes your life, you get very used to seeing different places all the time, meeting different people, and just kind of being everywhere and making everywhere and anywhere your home. Home is anywhere and everywhere you want it to be. Home is everywhere and anywhere you want it to be. And I felt that in my heart of hearts. But at some point, I did reach this place where I felt like I wanted to have more roots, or at least wanted to try living in one place just to see, just to give it a go. I hadn't done it in my post-college adult life. I had never lived in one place. And I mean, I think at that point I was like over 35 years old and I had not lived in a traditional type of, you know, oh, I live here and this is the gym I go to and this is my neighborhood. And I didn't have any of that. So 
the first experiment was just going and renting my friend's place for about six weeks when they went to South America to go backpacking. I was doing that with my girlfriend at the time. And, you know, still didn't feel like home because it wasn't my home. I was just staying in somebody else's home, but I was trying it out. And then we rented another place that was furnished. Uh, that wasn't really my home because it wasn't my stuff. And it was just kind of, I still was living sort of out of the back. But like, I basically, I kept fighting actually settling down <laughs> for a long time because I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what it meant. I was afraid, I think, that I would get bored or feel too tied down or wouldn't be able to travel if I got too sucked into the vortex of the status quo lifestyle. I was petrified of that. I think it actually took me getting a lease and getting actual furniture at one point, which I think I still bought like a used futon for a couple hundred bucks. It's like, hey, I can easily offload this if I ever want to travel again. <laughs> so it was uh, it was rough. And looking back, I think it could have been a lot easier if I had just let go of the idea that, hey, maybe just getting a place and getting a few things doesn't mean you're going to be sucked into the vortex of the status quo. And it's okay. It's okay, man. Chill out, is what I should have said to myself <laughs> back then. But you don't know. And I, I was really protective of my ability to travel. I did not want anything to screw up my ability to travel. And that has been the thing that allowed me to travel so much. So I should thank myself in that way, right? If you're like, hey, nothing's going to F with my travel because that was my number one priority at the time. Priorities change over time. I got a family. I got two kids now. I'm living in another country. So in a way, I'm still traveling. But um, this is home. This feels like home. When I land back in Norway, I do feel like um, at home. Um, when I get to Colorado, where I was living for a long time after my road career, it felt like it feels like home, still feels like home. But it took a long time for that first home in Colorado to feel like home. So anyway, if you have been traveling a lot or you're about to go travel a lot, just know that it can be normal on the back end of long term or full time travel to not feel at home anywhere because you feel at home on the road. And that feeling of home on the road, I just, I can take myself immediately to like into a car on a road trip or something and just feeling at home on the road. That is a good feeling. That's a feeling of freedom. So it's hard to uh, take on the responsibilities of the quote unquote real world after that. At least it was for me. Anyway, just some food for thought. If you have anything you want to share about what home means to you, just drop me a line. Jason at zerototravel.com is my email. I read them all, read every single one, love to get them. No secret there. And I want to give a shout out to somebody named Connor who wrote me an email. And the subject actually was just a shout out, exclamation point. Hey, you're telling me you're just giving me a shout out? I'm giving you a shout out, Connor. He said, hey, Jason, my name is Connor. I'm a life skills special ed teacher from Indianapolis, Indiana. I wanted to reach out and say thanks so much for your awesome work advice and other people's stories on the podcast. I started listening to it right at the start of the quarantine. I haven't been able to stop. I loved hearing the little nuanced details that you provide for listeners. I lived and taught on the Navajo reservation for five months during student teaching, which was incredible, and just got back from a month-long road trip where I started off woofing 
which a uh, side note is an organization called Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms, where you can work on farms in exchange for uh, homestays. Anyway, Connor goes on to say that he then did some national park hopping slash camping with my dog. It was a very interesting traveling in some ways during this time, but I'm for sure glad that I got a chance to keep up the great work. Thanks, Connor. Connor! Thank you, man. You keep up the great work and the great emails. <laughs> I really appreciated hearing from you. And uh, you're doing some incredible work as a life skills special ed teacher in Indianapolis. That's a beautiful thing, my friend. So um, thanks for being a part of this listening community and for sharing some of your travel experience with us today. So I get to share it here on the podcast with all of you listening. Please drop me an email. I love to hear from listeners. Jason at zerototravel.com. Much love to all of you. I'm going into the random quote drawer now here. I'll put the mic down here so you can hear me. Okay, pulling out this one. It's from Sir Swami Sachidananda, who said, find the peace in yourself so that you can help others realize their own peace. That's not a selfish act. I love these quotes, man. Get me thinking. Get my brain right. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks. We did it. Another one. We did it together. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, being here. Once again, for being a part of this listening community. Much love to each and every one of you. Sending you peace and love from me to you, wherever you're listening to this. Enjoy your day. I will see you next time, my friend. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.